My name is Gabe Calzada. I'm a member here at Seacoast. I had the wonderful time of being raised in a beautiful Latino family. I was raised culturally Catholic, and from an early age, I was just so driven to be a surgeon. That's all I ever wanted to be. I was sort of a snooty little kid, driven and self-centered, egocentric, but joy in Jesus in my life was so patient with me. You know, through my friends at Baylor University, being exposed at chapel and being invited to church with my friends, I began to have a deeper relationship with Christ. Um, that continued on through medical school and residency and finding uh, just to different parishes and discovering and just growing deeper. Eventually, I joined my first men's group and that was a really wonderful experience. And it culminated when I moved out to California, joined Seacoast and had my you know, my outward expression of my love for Christ through uh, an ocean baptism, which was extraordinary. You often ask, you know, what was, what's it like before you find joy? What's it like, the significance afterwards? And I like to think of analogy, like if you know me, you know that I love hiking and I love trying to reach these summits. And yeah, so when, when you try to reach a summit before sunrise, it's like you, before Christ, before finding joy. You start off on your own, you think you can do it, you think you know what you're doing. And finally, when you make it to the top, you're like, oh, I did it all on my own. But what it takes to discover Christ and joy in your life is just patience, to sit there, patient, and wait. Christ is like the sunrise coming up over the ridge. You know, you just, it's relentless pursuit of you. And as it comes over, you see a deeper color to the mountain, a clarity that you've never imagined before, the warmth that envelops you, and the darkness that gets, you know, hidden away. And that's Christ for me in my life. The significance is that you realize that He was there with you in your journey the entire time. And He was making your path straight. And in the end, everything you experienced wasn't through your own works. And it was just by God's grace. And uh, yeah, just so thankful to God that my yesterday's gone and hope for the future. What a great reminder of the story. This uh, Christmas season, what we're celebrating of light of the world is just the difference that it makes that Christ has come. And what a fun way to do it, right? With the kids up here, with the, you know, dancing and some, yeah, they did a great job this morning. So thank you for the, the leaders who helped with them. I asked if I could be a part of the dance and they said no. So um, they wanted this to be a good morning for all of you. <laughs> so... Uh, but it is really fun for me. One thing I love about uh, the Christmas season is, is when, you know, for me and our family, we love to celebrate holidays, and, and this is one of the bigger ones for us to really kind of go all out. And I'm still one of those people where I love to, I, like, I love the Christmas music. I've shared that before with, with you. And I love watching uh, Christmas movies. We, we, there's some that you have to watch every year, too. They're kind of like the, you know, in our house, we, we always used to watch when the kids were younger, the Mickey's once and twice before Christmas. You always have to watch Jim Carrey's The Grinch. Right, like that's, you just have to. Um, die Hard Christmas movie. Um, and uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Those are like, you, yeah, yeah, you know, you clap for that. Good. So, <laughs> so those are kind of standards that you have to watch. And then the other ones, you know, and then they have all those, my wife likes, come on, the Hallmark movies. Yeah, you know, where somehow they are able to make 300 movies for the Christmas season. But they all have a different theme. 
You know, they're all different. <laughs> oh, you've watched them too, have you? <laughs> There's always like some great looking guy who owns a company or is a king of a country and has never met the right person until finally there was a girl who wraps presents in a store and they fell in love and got married by Christmas Eve. So that's, you don't have to watch them now. Okay, so. <laughs> but one thing that I really like, when I, the, the truth is when we look at all of these movies and shows and, and hear this, uh, the music, for me it's, it's kind of cool when you think it's all rooted actually in the actual Christmas story that started 2,000 years ago. That the themes that we see pop up are all, they, they almost invariably, they get to the end where they say, well, it's all about what you give, not what you get. Or it's about loving, or it's about being with the people you love, or it's giving of yourself in some ways. And all of these are themes that come from the real Christmas story. And they've been masked and they've been changed throughout time uh, in some ways, but they have their roots in the story that the Savior of the world, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, stepped in to be with the ones he loved, to give of himself, to bring hope, and to bring peace. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we're doing here this Christmas season, to celebrate that real story of Christmas. And today we're looking at the theme of joy and the idea that even when I look at these Christmas stories, often at the end they talk a little bit about the Christmas spirit or, or something like that that comes up in all these shows and movies. And really that's again rooted in this time of year where we are searching for joy and we're reminded of it. And ironically, it's the time of year that a lot of things tend to compete for that joy and suck that joy away. So what we want to look at today is the, and answer the question that says, how can we experience real joy during this Christmas season? How can we really connect with Christ and experience the joy that he brings? See, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 11, he said, my joy, I tell you all these things so you may have my joy and that your joy may be complete or made full. It's a joy that Christ wants to give to you and to me. And so that is the joy that we will explore here. And I believe that when we understand the character of God, the promises of God rooted in the Christmas story, that we find the solution that we're all looking for. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. So I invite you to pray with me as we get started. Lord God, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for really the joy of seeing our kids uh, celebrate, to see them dance, to be reminded of the gift that you gave to us. And Lord, I pray that now as we look into the story, being reminded of something that we've heard many times before, that Lord, we ask that you would speak to us in new ways, that you would transform our hearts, and these words would be your words as we give them to you now. We thank you, Lord, and give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 2. Now, as, we, as you find your way there to the book of Luke today, it's in the New Testament, about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. Now, as, as you find your way there, we're going to look at a story that, again, is probably the most familiar passage of text when we come to the Christmas story. In fact, it's so familiar that Linus from Charlie Brown, every year on ABC, t proclaims it to the world, this little section of Scripture that we're going to look at. But sometimes in things that are familiar, they just become routine. 
And they lose their power or they lose their significance if we forget really what's going on. And so that's what we want to explore a little bit today. And again, we're looking at, the, at what is deep-rooted real joy. And, and even as we get into this, know that joy and happiness are different things. One person said happiness is usually related to what's happening at the moment. Joy is something that is much more deeply rooted in our hearts. It's deeply rooted in our convictions. And I would argue it's rooted in how we see the world or how we see God and what he has for us. So let's keep that in mind as we read now. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. Jesus was just born in Bethlehem. Okay, you're caught up. Now, verse (laughs) 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, and they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, let's stop right there. I want to stop there and kind of get you up to speed or paint the picture of what's happening here. There's been all this time, about 400 years between what the last prophets were writing and this time of the birth of Christ. It's a time in the history of Israel when they're really hoping and waiting for a Messiah. This is God's anointed one, someone who will come and deliver their people. And and many of them had this view that he'd be delivering them from a, a military deliverance and kind of defeating the Romans. But they're looking for something to change in their country. They're looking for hope. Now, Jesus now, there was some prophecies that where he'd be born and when he'd be born, and all of these things are now starting to measure up. And as people are looking back at the prophets and looking at the birth of Christ, they're starting to say, wait, some of these pieces are fitting together. And so Jesus now has been born in this town of Bethlehem, which is just about six miles south of Jerusalem, where the temple, where all the worship would happen. He's born there because his family originally is from that region. Joseph, his father, probably uh, was, uh, owned ho- or land in that area. And so this is the, the land where they would go back for a census to register. Now, they're in the region. Jesus is born. Now, here's an interesting thing. This story to us is pretty familiar. Angels appear to shepherds and tell them that Jesus is born. But when we really dig into this, to me, this is a very strange thing to happen. This is a little bizarre. Have you ever wondered or asked the question, why do the angels appear to shepherds? Who are the shepherds? What is their significance? Who cares if they, like, why did God go to them? What do they have to say? What status do they hold that the angels said, you know, we've got to make this birth known to someone other than family? Got it, shepherds. Why shepherds? See, because these shepherds, and, and, and most likely these shepherds were shepherds who were tending the, sh- the flock, the sheep, that were used for sacrifice in the temple. According to Jewish writings called the Mishnah, they talked about the, the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, between Jerusalem, the sheep that they raised and the lambs that they ra- raised were used for sacrifice in the temple. Okay, so interesting that they're raising the sacrificial lambs for Passover while the Lamb of God was born in Bethlehem. That's interesting. Perhaps could it be that? But there's something more about shepherds. You see, the shepherds were were used to raise these flocks, but shepherds were considered unclean. 
They were part of a profession that meant that though they could raise the animals used for sacrifice in the temple, they themselves were not allowed into the temple. They would have to make themselves go through a ritual to cleanse themselves and make themselves pure enough to then go into the temple, but in general, shepherds were not welcome there. The other thing is they were unclean, so they weren't welcome to just show up and walk into your home. If they went into your home, your home would be unclean. So shepherds knew their existence meant that they, in general, in the nation of Israel, they were considered unclean people, generally on the outside, generally unaccepted. What is more is shepherds had the reputation of being less than morally upright when it comes to other people's possessions. In other words... They thought of them often as thieves. (laughs) They took what they needed to take when they saw it, in general. So shepherds were not exactly, if you were to write the story of the Son of God being born, and we need to proclaim it so everybody knows, it doesn't quite make sense that you would naturally go to, ah, shepherds, the ones that no one will really trust. We'll go to them first. Let's tell them. The blues on the outside. And I really think that the story is trying to communicate something about the character of God. The reason he chooses shepherds is there's something deeper going on. And I believe that this is one of the first things of, that when we look at of the joy that we find in this story. See, they s- proclaim to the shepherds and say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Hey, the shepherds counted as all the people. They were included in that. But most of their lives, they heard, this is good news for people, but you're unclean, so you don't get this good news. But here is good news of great joy for all the people. The message that God has come to us will bring great joy. And the first part of joy that I see here is an inward joy, and this is the joy of belonging that we find in this story. See, I believe that he uses the shepherds because he's communicating that they can belong. I have that uh, slide up there for those who like to follow along there. So the joy of belonging. And, and this is the idea that outsiders are brought in, that they can be a part of the story. W- look as we continue on. He says this, he'll be born and this will be a sign for you, verse 12. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Why is that a sign that God was born? Ever asked that question? He says the best news that could ever happen for all humanity just happened. And here's a sign for you. The baby will be wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. How is that a sign? I I don't, is it too familiar for us? I I grew up thinking, well, that's a sign. I heard Linus told me it was a sign. (laughs) It's a sign. I saw that, you know, I look at the nativity scene. That's, yeah, he's lying. So that, why is that a sign that Christ was born? Why would that convince anybody? Well, the people who were, they were convincing here were the shepherds. Who's convincing the shepherds? Now, track with me for a moment. Um, this, less significant, but the way they, when he's, the way they describe him, you'll find the baby wrapped in clothes. The way he was wrapped would be the way that often the lower, uh, income class would, uh, the shepherds would relate to, this is how we wrap our babies. The royalty, the, the other, the richer kids were not wrapped that way. They weren't treated that way as babies. So this was a sign like, hey, he's one of you. 
You can relate to him the way, he, the way they're wrapping the clothes. Now look at the other thing. Lying in a manger. Now, we don't have time today. I would love to unpack what does that really look like. We have um, most of us by now, sorry to ruin it, probably does not look like your manger at home. Probably not a wooden structure, the nice little, you know, thatched roof with the angel on top, all of that. Probably not. But the idea here is that the baby Jesus is lying in the feeding trough where animals were kept. Now, there's some evidence that probably that was attached to the home or very close to the homes. It's maybe not as bad of a situation for Mary and Joseph as we tend to think when we hear this story. But there's something very significant for the shepherds that he's laying in a manger. You see, because if the shepherds were going to go see the baby, there's only one room in the home they would be welcomed into. That's where the animals were. So if Jesus were lying in a crib in the guest room or in the baby's room, the shepherds would only be able to maybe look through the window. But he's lying in a manger, so the sign for you, shepherds, the the, the sign that the good news is for all people is you, for the first time in your life, can come face to face with the Savior. You are welcome in here. This is a space where you belong. And we find in the Christmas story that there is joy in belonging. The Christmas story is God's way of breaking in and saying everyone who feels on the outside of the family of God now have an invite that you can come in. You see, the priests in the temple in Jerusalem would have been offended at that. Wait, the Savior of the world is by animals? He's unclean now. We're not going to go see him. But to the shepherd who was always on the outside, they're now invited in. There's something about belonging, isn't there? I remember growing up, I grew up in the military, so I moved a few times. And I remember making a move. Um, I was born in, in Fort Benning down in Georgia. I lived up in Minnesota for a time. My parents were from Minnesota, so all my family was there. I lived there in my kind of really early years and uh, the, my earliest remem- remembrances are all in Minnesota. I moved from there. My dad got transferred to the Presidio in San Francisco. So picture a Midwest kid living in Minnesota, now moving to Northern California. There's just some things you realize very quickly that are different about you. I moved there. When I moved there, I drank pop. But all those kids drank soda. <laughs> Tracking with me? <laughs> I played tag with my friends. They all played tag. (laughs) The first time I said, you guys want to play tag, they kind of looked at me like, we have no idea what you are saying right now. I played hockey in the neighborhood pond in the winter. They had been to the ocean. They surfed. I wore moon boots in the winter. Most of you have no idea what a moon boot is. So I kind of moved into a place where all of a sudden I was very different than everyone else. I remember one of the first uh, days that I was there, and I loved playing sports. I loved playing football in the, in the fall and basketball in the winter and, and baseball in the spring and summer. And uh, we moved in the fall, and I was in my backyard, and on the base, all of our backyards kind of faced each other, so we had like a big grass area in between. And I remember just kind of throwing the football up to myself one day, just playing in the backyard, and I had my dog and me and my football and, and I saw some kids nearby, and they were playing football, and they had, it looked like they were about my age, they had maybe a high schooler or a college kid who was with them, and he was organizing them, and they had like an organized game going on. 
And I remember when that, the leader of that group saw me, and he came over. And he said, hey, you like football? Do you want to come play with us? It's interesting how that one little statement, that one little moment stands out. That moment from feeling like I don't belong to I do belong. How much that changes. The Christmas story for the shepherd said, one moment you don't belong, the next, God is inviting you in. If you are here this morning and you feel like you don't belong in the family of God, if you feel like something in your life has excluded you or disqualified you from his family, I want you to know that the Christmas story, the light of the world, the presence of God breaks that barrier down and you are welcome in. The sign is the baby has been born wrapped in clothes and he's lying in a manger. Everyone can come to him. There's no exclusion in the story. So the first thing we see about joy here is there's joy in belonging. I love in Acts chapter 15, it's talking about uh, the early church is growing and there's a lot of Christians and, and most of the first Christians were all Jewish followers of Jesus. But in Acts chapter 15, we start to see all these Gentiles, non-Jews, started becoming Christians. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 3, it said that when they heard of the Gentiles converting and coming in, being welcomed into the family, they were all filled with great joy. There is joy in belonging. So the question for you today is, do you feel like you don't belong? And I want to tell you, you do. The other question for you is, who are the people in your life that you have an opportunity to help them feel welcomed in? Who are the people that you interact with throughout your days that could use that joy of belonging to be know that they're invited in to the family of God? Think of that during the season. Let's continue on in the story. So it's proclaimed to the shepherds now that there's a Christ the Lord, the Messiah has been born, and the sign is he's lying in a manger just crazy to them, so, and then suddenly appeared to them an angel, with the angel, a multitude in the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them to heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, they found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby as he lie in the manger. And when they'd seen this, they'd made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. The next part, the next thing that I see in the story about joy is it's, it's this upward joy or this, this uh, joy in God's works. It's a good joy that comes from looking upward. You notice it starts, the angels proclaim, glory to God in the highest. It begins with God. And peace on earth on whom God's favor rests. Some of, you's, some of your translations might say in whom God is well pleased. If your translation says peace of God on those whom, who please God, I would love for you to change that. See, some of the translations might say God's favor rests on those who please him. But it's really in whom God is pleased to pour out his favor. We can change the order and it changes everything. 
See, this whole section reminds us that it starts with God. Glory to God in the highest. This is about his plan, about his works in your life, about what he is doing for you and what he has poured out on you. The story of Christmas is God coming down. And there's peace on earth on those whom God's favor rests. In other words, those who have received this message of Jesus and now have that are welcomed in and have this new relationship with God, there's this peace that is different than anything else. And it flows from God. It's a joy that comes from looking up at God's works. It's a joy in what God is doing. Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, when the word joy or rejoice are used, almost every single time they're used in connection to the works of God. Rejoice in what God has done. Take great joy when we recall and remember that God led us out of slavery in Egypt. Or rejoice in remembering that he he took care of us in the wilderness. Joy and rejoicing are almost always connected to the works of God. Not to our works. And so there's this deeper joy that comes when we can look upward and remember what God has done. Isn't it interesting that some of the things that steal our joy are the little moments during the day. And it's so easy for me to focus so much on all the things that God hasn't done instead of all the things that God has done. It's a lot easier to point out all the ways that maybe you think God needs to step in, and we tend to forget all the ways he already has. This reminds us here that it flows from him. Glory to God in the highest. Glory in what God is doing. He is at work. The shepherds go and everyone they told were amazed that God was at work. They were filled with this great joy because they were seeing that God had a plan. Is what's stealing your joy during this Christmas season if you're someone who you say, ah, this is a rough time in year? Is it the circumstances that you're dwelling on? Now, Please understand, we go through circumstances that are difficult, and they can be hard. You can experience um, certainly sadness. There's times of depression. There's all of those where you think, like, God, I'm just, I need you to show up. And so I'm not going to speak against those and say you should never feel sad or, or lack of jo- you know, joy in that sense. Those happen. But are, where are you dwelling? Where's your mind dwelling? Do you take time to say, God, I'm grateful for what you have given me. I'm grateful for how you have been at work. Sometimes it's just a little bit of changing our perspective. I think in the book of Acts again, in in chapter 16, I share this story often when we connect it to joy, but there's a story of Paul and Silas, and they're preaching the words of Jesus to people, and they were arrested in a town called Philippi. They were arrested for preaching about Jesus. And it said they were beaten They were put into the inner prison, and then they were fastened their feet and their hands in stocks. As if, you know, so we beat you, then we arrest you, and then we put you in jail, and then we fasten you in stocks. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22, it says, Around midnight, after all that happened, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. What in the world was going on in their lives that allowed them to sing praises to God in a moment like that? When their circumstances were all against them. Praising God was always connected with God. We're so grateful for the way you're at work. We're thankful to you for how you're moving in our lives. Sometimes it's a matter 
a perspective. Here in the story, we're told to look upward, that it begins with God. Glory to God in the highest. Imagine what it would have been like for the angels on that night as well. Think of their role. They've been serving God since, they, since the beginning of time. They've been seeing God at work. They saw the interaction of humans and how we've rebelled against him. They know the character and the nature of God who now has just, in, in the person of Jesus, stepped into our story. And the angels proclaim this, and they're singing about it. In their minds, are they just thinking, you guys don't get what gift you are seeing right now. If you would only know the nature of this God who's just entered into your story, if you would just get a, just a glimpse of what just happened here, you would, your lives would be transformed. The angels are proclaiming this. They know the real story. They know who this God is who just broke into our story. So they're saying glory to God in the highest. He is at work, people. Look at how he works. Let's continue on now. So everyone's amazed at the story. And all who heard it in verse 18 wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. And even that, could you imagine shepherds showing up at your house, the unclean ones, and saying like, um, hey guys, uh, so you're not going to believe this, but we just saw some angels, and they told us what happened here. So they were all wondering at that. Verse eight, 19, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds went back, glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. The last thing I see about joy in this story is an outward joy. It's the joy in sharing. A joy in sharing the story. Joy in sharing what has happened. The, the joy that becomes contagious. The shepherds leave there praising God. Could you imagine what that would have been like? Have you ever, you know, students been up at Hume Lake, you come down, you're on the spiritual high. What would it have been like to be in the manger and to go back to the fields? That's called a spiritual high. You leave there and like, can you believe what we, we just saw? Son of God, that was pretty cool. How are the sheep doing? You know, I mean, what, how does that translate or transfer in your life? So they leave there praising God. The joy was contagious. They were celebrating all that they had heard and seen. I believe that joy needs to be contagious, or joy is contagious. Do you have people in your life that you love to be around? And then, do you have people in your life that when you see them coming, you're kind of like, uh, let me find something else to do. Hopefully that's not the person that you're living next to and sitting, sleeping by every night, but hopefully it's, you know. But th there's those people in your life, in their workplace, in the neighborhood or whatever, when you see them, you just know, here comes Mr. Negativity. You know those people? I don't know, you might be that person, if that is you, welcome. But, uh, a pet peeve of mine is negativity and, and just being pessimistic about everything. But there's something so contagious about those. And, and, and again, please don't, I'm not saying being fake and like nothing ever is wrong, blah, 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 but someone who's able to, this joy that's contagious. Negativity is contagious as well. But people have been transformed by Jesus. Should we be people filled with joy? We shouldn't be the type of people that when someone sees you coming, they're like, oh, Christian alert, look out. 
go the other way. Here comes the Christians. I was a waiter during college at a, a pretty nice restaurant, and I w- it was sad for me because I also worked at a church, but we had this thing. I worked often Sunday afternoons. I waited tables Sunday afternoon and night, and, and our thing was we hated Sunday afternoons and evenings because that's when a lot of the Christians came out to our restaurants, and they were the worst tippers, and they were the most demanding, and they were, we were always like, oh, the Christians are coming. I even used to say that. <laughs> They're like, hey, pastor. I'm like, I know. Here comes the Christians. Oh, great. Just like the good secular people, they were a lot more tippy. Um, anyway, so tipsy too. But, uh, <laughs> but it was sad for me every time that here I was as a Christian, and even I didn't want to wait on the Christians on Sundays because they weren't happy. They weren't joy-filled, and they weren't generous. It should be so opposite with us. We have this good news that Jesus has come to give us life and transform us. That joy should be contagious. And again, not a fake joy. This is a deep-rooted joy, a joy in knowing that God is at work, a joy in knowing that we're invited in, a joy in knowing that he can give us all that we need, what we truly need to survive, that he is enough for us. It's a joy that means that when we face difficult circumstances, we believe that someone else is in control. We don't have to be. When the shepherds leave there, there was a contagious joy about them as they were praising God, and the message obviously spread from that point on. It was fun for me to hear uh, this weekend, as you know, uh, is the Community Resource Center of Encinitas holds one of San Diego's biggest uh, charity events this weekend called Holiday Gift Baskets as a church uh, we contributed a lot of food and, and gifts and money. Uh, it takes care of about 1,700 families. 6,000 people go through this of, who are underemployed or unemployed or just their families who want to allow their kids to, ha- to experience Christmas. So they get a box of food. They get to pick out some gifts. They get to pick out some clothing. And we get to participate giving to that. But also many of you um, yesterday and I think on Friday participated by volunteering down there. And it was really, and some are going today. In fact, the high schoolers are going afterwards, I think, today to uh, pack up and as they shut down the event, which is very big too. But one of the cool things that I heard, because my wife works with them, is that yesterday, um, at the end of the day, the people who are in charge of the area where the Seacoast volunteers were working said, we love volunteers from Seacoast that they were so joy-filled, they were so great working with the kids and with the families, that they brought such a different atmosphere there, that some of them, and they don't even attend church anywhere, said, hey, what time do you, are your Christmas Eve services? Maybe we should come and check out you people. <laughs> that brought such joy to my heart, because that is the point. They should say that about Christians. We should be the ones that have a different way of interacting with others, of volunteering. This week, I also heard a great report from those of you who volunteer in our Sunset High School ministry. There's a group who do uh, work with our kids over at Sunset High School. And same thing, one of the teachers sent this note that was like, there's just, okay, I'm convinced now there's something different about you people. And it was in a good way. Joy, there's an outward joy from this story. There's a joy in sharing with others. Joy is often found in those little things that we take for granted, too. 
Joy can be found in our salvation. Joy can be found in your relationship. Joy can be found in the fact that you have a community of people you can meet with on Sundays, and they believe what you believe. That's a good thing. It's good to be reminded once a week that you're not the only crazy one out there. You have a whole bunch of other ones journeying with you who Christ has interacted with and brought life. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to, as we end this time, I was recalling a story. Um, When I was thinking about joy, there's this kind of famous sermon given by a guy named Chuck Swindoll, and he was talking about joy and, and the fact that often we look at what we don't have, not what we do have. We look at the Christmas season, and maybe we forget that this story is the greatest story ever told, that God stepped in because of his love for you and for me. And in speaking about joy, Chuck Swindoll recalled the story of this vi- uh, violin concert uh, violinist in, named Niccolo Paganini. And he tells a time of Paganini playing in this great concert, and he starts playing his violin and making music that, that you just couldn't believe how talented he was. And in the middle of his performance, one of his strings broke on his violin. And improvising, Paganini then just continued on playing and making music on just three strings as he played. As he continued to play with all of his heart, a second string on his violin broke. And instead of stopping, he once again adjusted and started playing on just two strings. And now on two strings, he was making more music than most of us could ever imagine making. And you guessed it, a third string broke. At this point, the orchestra joins in with him, and he finishes his piece on one string. And at the end of it, the crowd just jumped to their feet and were applauding and just amazed at what they just heard. And he lifted up his violin, and he said, Paganini, and one string. See, the reminder for a lot of us is we see the the three strings that broke. We get to the Christmas season and we look at the one that just popped off and we don't keep playing. It derails us. But we're reminded sometimes it's just a matter of how we change our perspective. When we look at the Christmas story, are we reminded that Jesus, the creator of the universe, stepped in to this for you? For me? Are you looking at the strings that broke? Or are you playing with that one string you have? Are you looking at the gift that God has given you of life, of hope that he brings to us today? See, the story of Christmas is a story of a deep-rooted joy, not a happiness. It's a joy. Because the light of the world came in to transform us. To say we belong. We belong because of what he has done. And because of what he has done and that we belong, then we can share that joy with our world. The light of the world is here. And we celebrate that. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the love that you poured out on a very familiar story, Lord. On that night when we 
we've heard about time and time and time again of you appearing to shepherds, Lord. It's so familiar that we forgot how profound it really was that those who once were far can now be brought near. And Lord, it's because of your words. And so this morning, Lord, we want to be people who celebrate, who remember that we can be near because of what you have done. So we thank you, Jesus, for that story. I pray that the rest of this Christmas season, Lord, we would remember how profound it really is that we may have life because of you. We thank you now, Jesus, and give you this time. In your name, amen.